I don't know about you, but it's a little bit difficult for me to grab the whole concept that tomorrow is January 1st, 2024. Uh, most of us in this room were actually born in the 1900s. <coughs> It'll hit you later. <laughs> it's hard to believe that just not all that many years ago, one of the greatest difficulties we had looking forward to the new year was trying to figure out what date to sign on a check. I remember standing at Kmart one time and I was so befuddled by trying to get the date on there because I had to switch years that I couldn't even remember how to spell Kmart. I had to ask for help spelling Kmart from the assistant behind the counter. Again, if you don't understand checks, an older person can explain them to you. If you've known me for any length of time, you know that I don't really believe in preaching a New Year's resolution kind of guy. I don't preach that series because it just seems silly to me. And if it doesn't make sense. Personally, if I'm going to make a change, I'm going to make the change. And if I don't have the intention to make the change or the fortitude or the resolve to make the change, flipping the day on the calendar and having somebody preach to me that I should change is probably not going to make me change. That's just who I am. But as we come to the close of 2023, there are some things about the church that I am just so encouraged by. I'm so encouraged by the life of the church that's going on here at Christian Fellowship. I'm encouraged by the fact that last Sunday we had 30 kids standing on stage for the first time in almost 10 years. I'm encouraged that there are, there's a, a, a ministry, two ministries going on downstairs right now, the, the children's ministry with the little arrows. There's a half a dozen kids down there and then, and then the, the uh, Sunday school for kids. I'm encouraged by that. That's a good thing. I'm encouraged by the fact that Wednesday nights, uh, Lloyd and Ruby came and talked to eight or ten uh, youth. There's a youth program that's going on. That hasn't happened in a long time, that's an encouraging thing. I'm encouraging by the fact that, that we have to shut off the lights out here on a Sunday morning so that people know they can to stop fellowshipping and come inside and do church. That encourages me. I'm encouraged by the fact that, that I got up one Sunday, I felt like the Lord just put it on my heart. I got up one Sunday and said, we should feed 5,000 people. And everybody went, yeah, we should do that. And this year we got to gather together in our parking lot and feed 5,000 people in our community. That encourages me. That encourages me so much. I'm so blessed by the conversations that I have with people, hearing how they're getting together in this little group and they're getting together in that little group and boy, so-and-so really challenged me this week and so-and-so really spoke into my life here and it had nothing to do with this so-and-so. It doesn't have anything to do with me. It had to do with people Fellowshipping. Barry taught a few weeks ago about ecclesia, about the gathering together of, of people who have common bond, have a common mindset, to talking about the church, gathering together. I'm encouraged by all that. I'm encouraged again by the fact that we've, we've already sold or given away 75 of those poets' Bibles. I'm, I'm just encouraged by that. I'm, I'm encouraged, I, I, this is a weird thing, I'm encouraged when we struggle because I see so many people jumping in the fray and it's not just a pastor trying to take care of everybody who struggles but, but our men's group is caring for men who are going through struggles and, and the difficulties that are going on around us people are caring the ladies are caring for one another that's a good thing 
That's what the church is supposed to be about. We're supposed to be about a group of people who care for one another and who love one another and who are encouraged by one another. I also have some struggles as I was preparing for the new year, thinking about the new year. Some concerns that I see in the church corporately, the church at large, not just not just something going on here at Christian Fellowship, but the church at large. One of the things that is has just caught me so off guard, and maybe this is just a factor of getting older, but the the amount of sickness and the amount of death and the amount of struggle that I see in people's lives. It's just hard sometimes. It's just hard. The last three months, the struggles that people are facing are just so real. It's hard. Maybe, again, it's just because I'm getting older. But it's not just the struggle from loss or from death or from sickness, but there's also a struggle that that comes from compromise. In a world around us, in the church, we're starting to see compromise in ways that we should not see compromise. And that's a struggle for me. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a heaviness. That's a, that's a concern that I have. So on one hand, it's church being the church and, and functioning as the church and as the body is supposed to. At the other hand, it's just difficult to see the challenges but they're real. I read a report the other day that, that just absolutely stunned me, set me back in my chair. I want to share just a couple of points from this report. The report was actually done by Lifeway Research and Legionnaires Ministry, two very long-standing Christian ministries in the, in the United States. And they did a, a research on... Uh, American Christians, they surveyed American Christians in their understanding of basic Christian theology. And the name of the study was actually called the State of Theology. Now you might think about theology, this is pretty deep, Pastor. I don't really know if we can go into all that. Trust me, the study of God is theology. That's what theology is. So all of us are, have the capacity and the understanding for, for, the, the, for understanding this truth. The results of this survey were alarming. Here's what Three, I just want to point out three things that were findings, three findings that just shocked me. Now, these are supposed to be evangelical Christians. This is surveys of evangelical Christians. An evangelical Christian is somebody who believes that Jesus was born as a baby, that he rose, uh, that he, he grew as a man, he died, and that he rose again, and they believe in the, in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what that evangelical Christian term is supposed to mean. Let me show you three of the results from this survey. The first one that caught me so off guard is 48% of evangelicals, 48% of evangelicals, people who believe that Jesus came uh, as an infant, who he he lived a life for 33 years, he died, he gave his life. 48% of people who claim to be evangelical Christians believe that God learns and adapts and changes to the circumstances in the world around us. 48% if there's 100 people in this congregation today, that means half of that congregation, just under, believe that God learns and he adapts and he modifies and he changes to the world around us. 
This is the God who spoke and the universe came into existence. He spoke and light was. He spoke and creation came. God does not need to learn anything or adapt to anything that's going on in our life. Amen? Amen. We need to grab a hold of the truth. Half of all Christendom, half of all Christianity today believes that God adapts to our wants, our needs. This is something that creates great consternation for a pastor. He spoke and the universe existed. 65% of evangelicals, over half, this is 100 people, 65% believe that when a baby is born, that that baby is born innocent in the eyes of God. What, now, now that all feels good. I got a little grandson over here just about a year old, and you want to believe that little guy is innocent as the day is long. But here's the truth. The Bible says he's born with a sin nature. Right? Wait a minute. I think only about 35 of you said right. He was born with a sin nature, right? Does that mean he's a horrible sinner? No, it means he's lost. It means he's born separated from God and just like everybody else, he needs Jesus. That's what that means. Otherwise, at what point? When, when do they need Jesus? At what point? Is it when they start lying, cheating, stealing? Well, then they're sinners. No, they're born sinners just like you and I were. That is our nature. We have a sin nature. It comes from our father, Adam. 56, you got to get these, man. 56% of all evangelicals believe evangelicals. People in the church, similar to this. 56, 56% believe that God accepts the worship of all religions. Christianity, Judaism, Islam, 56% believe that God accepts the worship of all religions. It's okay, Pastor. Everybody's going to make it to heaven. All they got to do is believe in something. Well, I can believe in a rock because that's called pantheism. Okay? That says that God is everywhere. That says that this chair is enough right here. That's my higher power right there. I got that chair. And that's a special chair. As I pray to that chair... You say, well, that's not what it says. Yes, it is. It's what it says. 56% of all quote-unquote evangelical Christians believe that God, except just like, you know, if I worship that chair, then God's going to know that I'm really worshiping him. I want you to understand something. That's a lie. That is a lie. That is not true. This is caused me to go down just a whole crazy road in my head as you might imagine and if you can't imagine I'll share with you the crazy road that I went down in my head it caused me to go and do a Google search so I did a Google search and I just typed in is our world getting better or worse <laughs> I think I know the answer to that but I decided I should ask Google 
And the results are as varied as you can imagine. But one uh, interesting survey that was done by a, a, a global, a global opinion by a company called YouGovDot, so I don't know. In the United States, 65% of all people, 65% of all people believe that the world is getting worse. 23% said that it's neither, and only 6% responded that the world was getting better, and yet... That same report gushed over how things are, even though this is what people believe, this report is gushing about the fact that humanity is so much better and some of the top reasons, four of the top reasons that it's getting better is because uh, humanity is faring so much better because child mortality, uh, famine, and poverty are at all-time lows. And the life expectancy of, all, uh, of adults is at an all-time high. Also, gen so the fifth one was that gender tolerance is on the rise. That's what determines in these... Re that's, that's what our world is looking at. The only negative in that whole report was the fact that the climate's getting warmer. Yeah, this, this month hasn't been bad. There's a report like this that it looks at all kinds of things around us, but it has no foundation. It doesn't have a foundation because it hasn't used even the, the, uh, the, the, the potential that we should look at something as sin. The report doesn't take into account sin. It doesn't take into account homosexuality. It doesn't take into account chi uh, child trafficking. It doesn't take into account abortion hasn't looked at gang activity, hasn't looked at violent crime. I just heard on a report the other night that, that uh, uh, anti-Semitism uh, and hate crimes against Jews have increased 400%, 400% in the last year. 400% hate crimes against Jews. Now, I'm not very scientific myself, but as I observe what I see around us, and again, if 65% of the world around us, people that they just interviewed, 65% said the world's kind of going in the tank, there's something that we need to look at. So instead of looking at statistics and surveys that don't have anything to do with God, instead of consulting Google, it's time to consult God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 3. You may have known that I was going to go here. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says... Paul, this is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to Timothy, his son in the faith. He's writing to a young preacher. Timothy is, was a, a, a disciple of Paul's. He, he took over a church. The church, they estimate, uh, theologians estimate that his church grew to over 3,000 people. Had people coming in from everywhere, bringing in all kinds of gods, bringing in all kinds of, of false religions. And this is what Paul says to Timothy. He said, but mark this, mark this, pay attention, listen to me. Mark this. Put a stake in the ground. Understand this. Grab a hold of this. Paul's telling Timothy, don't veer from this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. They will be lovers of money. They will be boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, with, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying the power. They're going to look good on the outside. Man, they got their life together. 
They were in nice suit jackets. They got snazzy shoes. They got fine cars. They really looked good. They got jobs. They got, they got wives. They got kids. Man, they got great houses. They really looked good. They have a form of godliness. But they're denying the very power and the very life of God. Paul tells Timothy, young pastor, have nothing to do with such people. Blah. Like what? Don't get wrapped up in that. Well, they can help my career. Not if they're going to start putting in all kinds of junk in your life. They are the kind who worm their way into the homes and gain control over gullible women who are, who, who are loaded down with sin and they're swayed by every kind of evil desire. They're always learning, but they never come to the knowledge of truth. Grab a hold of that. We're people who want to learn, we want to learn, we want to learn, we want to learn, but we can learn and it not be truth. What is truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the life, and the truth you can learn all kinds of other stuff but if you don't learn truth if you don't learn the way if you don't learn who God is then all of it is for nothing right it's for nothing it's for not the Bible says it's all going to get burned up at some point they're always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. As Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these teachers oppose truth. What is truth? Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. So when they oppose truth, what are they, approved? What are they opposing? Jesus. Oh, I know you go to church. You can have your church. Don't tell me about Jesus. I don't need to hear about Jesus. I got a good life. I don't need to hear about Jesus. As a matter of fact, don't tell me anything about Jesus. I don't want to hear about it. They actually will oppose truth. When they're opposing truth, please understand what they're opposing. When Paul is speaking this, he's not talking about opposing the way to change a tire. Not saying, I get it, you know how to change a tire, but I don't need any information changing the tire. That's not what he's saying. He's saying they're opposed truth. We live in a world today, folks, you don't have to look too far. That opposes truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as faith is concerned, are rejected. They will not get very far because, as in the case of these men, their folly will be made clear to everyone. Understand what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, we've got all these people out here. There's a world that's filled with... You can look at all these surveys and say, well, you know, the world's not changing. Uh, it's getting worse, but it's not because of God. It's getting worse, but it's not because of sin. It's getting worse, but, but it's not because... Of, it's not, it, yes, it is. It's because sin is rampant in the world. Amen. And it's because believers don't understand what the Word of God says. Yes. Hear me. Hear me. Half of evangelical Christians don't understand what the Word of God says is basic theology. These reports go hand in hand. 
First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits, things taught by demons. People who say they have a relationship with Christ will actually abandon faith because they don't understand the truth. Because the lie seems more tempting. Because it's easier to compromise in this area. John chapter, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour, and you've heard it said that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. John's saying, clear back in Jesus' day, he said, guess what? There's a lot of Antichrist. There's a lot of things that are taking us away from God. Be aware of it. I think there's a warning to the church. As we face struggles and as we face difficulties and if we face challenges in our church, if we don't understand the basic tenets of Christianity, if we really don't understand the basics of theology, we're going to get sucked away by something that looks just a little bit kinder, something that looks just a little bit nicer, something that just looks a little bit more friendly, something that looks just a little bit easier. Christianity is simple. You accept Jesus and it costs you your life. Other than that, it's not a problem at all. You accept Christ and you lay your life down towards that. You accept Christ and we try to hear what he's trying to tell us. We try to discern through the word what he's saying. We, We find ourselves in fellowship with him, in prayer with him. We find ourselves in the word trying to understand and comprehend what the word says. Uh, Paul tells Timothy, uh, uh, study to study, study to show yourself approved, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, rightly dividing. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not. But how many of us in this room feel like we could stand before the Lord completely unashamed, being able to rightly divide the word of truth? If not, guess what? You don't need a resolution. If not, you need some resolve. We need some Jesus. We need to say, you know what, God? I want to stand before you clean someday and say that I rightly divided the word. I got it. I understood it but I can't do it on my own. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it with a Bible app. Bible app's a fine thing. How about just applying the Bible? How about not, not, just, not just reading the Bible on my phone? How about setting the phone down and grabbing my Bible and tearing it apart, open it up, look at it, read it, research, dig, dig, dig. There's nothing wrong with electronics. I don't care if you use a Bible app. I don't care. But apply what that Bible says. Apply what the Word says. You're not going to get it coming here for one hour on Sunday morning or two hours or the whole Sunday. We're not going to get it until we open up, until we dig in, until we get really, really honest with God and say, God, I need help. I need to understand. I need to comprehend. I'm at the end of myself. I'm lost. Technically, technically speaking, technically, we've been in the last days since the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will see dreams. Technically, we've been in the, in the latter days for over 2,000 years. You know what that means, right? 
That means we're 2,000 years closer to Jesus. He's only going to be gone so long. He's coming back. You all don't believe he's coming back? He's coming back. Hallelujah. No, 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 no. He's coming back. Hallelujah. He's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. He's coming back for a bride who knows who the bridegroom is. He's coming back for a bride who's ready and waiting and anxious and saying, God, we need you to come. We need you to come. We need you to come. He's coming for, for someone like, like, like the people in, in Jesus' day who are crying out, Emmanuel, God, we need you. We need you. And you know what we've done? We just kind of laid down on the job and went, you know, I accepted Jesus. It's okay. Are we going to be able to stand before the Lord? Are we going to be able to stand before the Lord? Say, you know what, God, I've rightly divided the word of truth. Let me tell you my opinion. In case you didn't know I do that a lot. I don't know that I've studied at that level. Let me confess something. I know I haven't studied at that level. I know that I don't get it all. I don't know if I've studied to show myself approved. I don't know if I've taken it in at that level. Folks, that's a challenge for every one of us. Don't just look at the guy next to you and go, yeah, you need to study more. We need to understand and comprehend God's word at a far greater level. Every one of us. The New Living Translation about this verse in Timothy says, don't be, uh, don't be naive. The idea uh, is, not, uh, is not to... To be a, uh, I don't read the New Living very often. Don't be naive. The idea is not to be surprised by how horrible things are going to get. If we expect an increase in evil, we'll be better able to deal with it. Don't be surprised that it's going to get darker. Don't be surprised that wickedness is going to come. Wickedness has been around. Paul gives Timothy this catalog of 21 corrupt attitudes and actions. And, and you could take any one of those attitudes or actions right from our local news feed, right? Lovers of self. Instead of loving God, people love themselves more than anything else. And that's the ultimate definition of idolatry is that I care about me, this narcissistic behavior. It's about me. And, and all kinds of wickedness comes up from that. Why? Because it's all about me. Well, I got that I'm stealing from you, but I don't care. I need it. Well, maybe I don't. I just want it. I should be able to take it. I want it. Lovers of money. Luke 6.14. He's talking about the Pharisees in Luke and he says, the Pharisees have become lovers of money. One of the world's greatest lies is that money is the answer to all the problems that you have. Guess what? It ain't. Just the opposite. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is all vanity. You get more money, you just got more problems. I know some of you are saying, well, try me. Careful. Careful. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. 
Some people eager for money. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. I know those people. I know people like that. I know people who haven't had money and then they've had money. And when they've had money, it's actually drugged them away from the faith. Paul says people are going to be proud. That's this self-assertive. The, 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 the best translation of that word is a self-assertive swagger. The other definition is an empty boaster. Look what I got. You ain't got jack. Arrogant. Psalm 10 verse 2 says, In his arrogance the wicked man hunts. Hear this. Hear this. In, the, in his arrogance the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes and his, his devices. He boasts about the cravings of, a heart, of his heart. He, he blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. How many of you have ever heard of, of some older person who's been deceived by somebody on the phone saying, you know what, if you just send us, if you just send us, if you just send, now the new scam is, is uh, somehow they find out your kid's name or your grandkid's name. It's actually happened to my father-in-law. And somebody called, uh, called my mother-in-law and said, Grandma, this is, and used my, my nephew's name, and, and that's nephew's name. And I, I, my voice sounds, I've been in a terrible car accident, I need $5,000, can you send me the money? And she's all panicked. And so finally, my father-in-law is like, tell me the name of my dog. I, I don't remember, Grandpa, I'm just, click. Somebody was, Actually, in his arrogance, a wicked man who was hunting down the weak. Hunting down the weak. Paul tells Timothy, stay away from them. Abusive. That word refers to blaspheming God, reviling those who are made in God's image. Disobedient to parents. That word disobedient means not pliable. Children who are not pliable to their parents. We see this decline in Micah chapter 7. It it says, For a son dishonors his father and a mother, rises up against her mother and a a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's man's enemies are members of his own household. This is the world that we live in. Check out this assessment. I want you to hear this. This is what one man said. Youth today love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority, no respect for older people. They talk nonsense when they should work. Young people do not stand up any longer when an adult enters the room. They contradict their parents. Too much, uh, too much talk in company. They guzzle their food. They lay in their, on their legs at a table. They, they tyrannize the elders. I read that to my daughter the other night, and she's like, yeah, that sounds kind of right. Well, guess who wrote it? 2,400 years ago, Socrates wrote that. Wow. How much worse since Socrates' day do you think things have gotten? People who are ungrateful, people who are unholy, people who are without love, people who are unforgiving, without self-control. Listen to what Vance Havner wrote. He was an author. That people used to blush because they were ashamed. Now they're ashamed if they blush. 
Modesty has disappeared and a brazen generation with no fear of God before its eyes mocks at sin. We are so fond of being called tolerant and so broad-minded that we wink at sin when we ought to weep. Brutal. That word means savage like a wild animal. Not a lover of God. Treacherous, rash, filled with conceit. I could keep on going, but I, I can't keep on going. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That word pleasure is a Greek word. It's where we get the word hedonism from. According to one historian, the downfall of Rome was attributed to people. Their creed, their motto was, give us bread and the circus. All we want is food and a good time. You ever met people like that? I don't want to work. All I want is food and a good time. Guess what? It was the fall of an entire nation. How far do you think we are from that? All I want is food and a good time. It's a perfect description of our world today. Romans chapter 16 and verse 18 says, For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but they serve their own appetites. Look around. What are we doing? Where are we living? Where are we laying our lives down for others? Where are we carrying out the gospel? Where are we caring for one another? In what ways are we doing that? In what ways do we understand what God's word says? In what ways do we just think we know what God, we think we know what church should be like. We can just, we're just going to kind of do it our way. It's okay. It's not okay. We'll end up off track. Always learning and never able to know the truth. Listen to what preacher J. Vernon McGee wrote over 60 years ago. I used to love listening to J. Vernon McGee. He said, you can find evidence of history of some of these things, but I don't think you will ever find a period in which all of these things are so manifested as they are today. And he said that over 60 years ago. Look, back in the 30s, the, the, biggest, the biggest problem they had in school was kids running in the hall and chewing gum. That's not the case today. It's kids spitting on their teacher and F-bombing them and flipping them off and slamming doors and walking. There's, 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 there's violence. There's all kinds of stuff going on. Where are we at? 50% of the church doesn't understand what the Word says. 50%. We think God needs to bow and change His ways to adapt what we think. Who are we? It's not the end, though. It's not the end of the story. Paul says this is not the end. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Timothy. He, this is a continuation. It was 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 9 that we read. This is 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. You, however, he's talking to Timothy. You, however, I'm talking to the church. You, however, you know my teachings. You know my way of life. You know my purpose, my faith, my patience, love, and endurance, persecutions, and suffering. What kinds of things have happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystrum and the persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. We're going to stop right there. 
You know that. Well, what did, what did he rescue him from? Let me just give you a brief overview. I'm glad that you asked 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. That's 39. Three times I was beaten with rod. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent the day and the night in the open sea. I have been consistently on the move. Consistently on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the country. Why? Because he's preaching the gospel. Because he understands the truth. He understood the truth of God's word. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and I've often gone with food, without food. I have been cold and I've been naked. Besides all of these things, I face the daily pressure and concern for all the churches. This is a guy who wrote most of the New Testament and yet he said, I've got struggles in my life and we're so convinced, we've believed this lie that if you just come to church and you do everything right, life is butterflies and unicorns and you don't have to worry about anything. But here's the problem. Them, all of a sudden when you can't find a, blood, a butterfly or a unicorn you say well God must not be right there's something wrong with my faith and you fall away from the faith we go this can't be right I want to tell you we need to be encouraged in God's word if there's a struggle in your life grab a hold of it embrace it like an old friend and ask Jesus to fill your heart because in this world we will have troubles it's going to come. Don't be so foolish as to think that it's not going to come. You say, well, pastor, this isn't the message I wanted to hear on New Year's. Sorry. But 2024 is coming tomorrow, and it doesn't look any better than 2023. Right? Because as the days get closer to the return of Christ, things are going to get darker. We still have hope and life and light in Christ. That's where we need to be anchored. That's where we need to be anchored. Philip Yancey, who was a renowned Christian author, once wrote, faith means believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. Let me say it again. Faith means believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. I believe God is going to carry me through. I don't know how. I don't see how. I don't see how a way through the pain, through the darkness, through the shame, through the fear. And yet, when I look back on it, I can always go back and go, man, I saw God move through that. Church, there's struggles coming. There are struggles but we serve an awesome God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can think. John 16, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. If you want a word for 2024, know that Jesus overcame the world and he dwells in you and therefore you can overcome. Amen. You can overcome. 1 Corinthians 10 says that God is faithful and he will never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Oh, I'm so tempted. Oh, the devil's got me. Oh. Well, start quoting Jesus. Go back to 1 Corinthians. Go, you know what? I'm feeling tempted, but I know that I can overcome because the word says I can. Because I feel like I can? No, because the word says I can. That's why. 
It's got nothing to do with me. It's got nothing to do with good preaching or bad preaching. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6 says, Be strong and be courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. When's he going to leave you or forsake you? Oh, I just feel so forsaken. Stop believing the lie. Because the word says, God will, that was the Old Testament. Jesus said the same thing in the New Testament. I will never leave you nor for, when's never? Never. never. Ain't gonna happen. Is it gonna be never next week? No, he's never gonna forsake you. The problem is, the church doesn't know the word. The problem is, we don't know basic theology. First John chapter four, verses four, Four through six. You, dear children, are from God, and you have overcome them. I think King James says you have overcome the world because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. What, what can overcome us in the world if Christ is in our heart? Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing. Nothing is too difficult for the... Do you believe that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I believe it. No, no, no. Four people believe it. Do you believe that? Yeah. Do you believe that? Yeah. How deeply do you believe that? Because I'm here to tell you, you said yes, you're going to get tempted within 15 minutes of walking out of this building. Some kind of discouragement's going to hit you. Some, you're going to, oh, maybe, oh, I lost this, I lost that, I can't find that, I can't blah, blah, blah. Oh, the devil's beating me up today. Stop letting him. We're going to face difficulties. I said it a few, I said it a month ago. You, we can't change the struggles that are coming at us. We can't avoid them, but we can overcome them. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and falsehood. And Paul goes on to say, you got to discern the spirits that are coming at you. Don't grab a hold of every thought that comes at your head. Some of them we have to let go of. Some of them we have to rebuke. Some of them we have to resist. Put on what? Just put on part of the armor of God? No, we've got to put on the whole armor of God. I'd go down that road, but that was a 12-week teaching last time I opened it up. Look, folks, we live in a day where it's not about just a resolution. It's not about just some mushy feeling. Well, I, think, I think God would want us to do it this way because this is so nice and this is so kind. I don't care about nice and kind. Here's what I care about. What is the truth? What's the word say? Do we have this do we understand this do we get this deep in our heart because if not as the days goes on and the days get darker you're going to find yourself more and more drawn offside and some maybe even pulled away from the faith why are we opening up the church on Sunday nights pastor so that we can have fellowship one with another Hebrews says, don't neglect the fellowshipping of yourselves one with another. Folks, if you're watching online, God bless you, I'm great. If you're close to a church, you need to find a church. 
You need to find a place where you can go in and you can get fellowship. You can get the word. It, 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 it's that real. It's that real. This morning, as I close, we got a... As I told you, people are giving. Somebody came the other day and said, listen, Pastor, when I started coming to church, I couldn't afford a Bible. I said, well, you should have said something. Well, blah, 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 blah. But I've come into some money, and so I want to give you $3,500. If anybody needs a Bible, please give it to them. So we have Bibles available. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I don't, I don't, I don't have a Bible. I can't afford a Bible. Don't you leave without a Bible today. I got 30 or 40 of them in my office. Don't leave without a Bible. All right? Don't do it. Don't do it. This is where you help. This is where you hope. This is where your life is going to come from. Ever learning. Now we need to learn and know the truth. We need to know the truth. Learn the truth. The Bible says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is truth. I thank you that your word is life. I thank you that as we go into 2024, we know there are going to be struggles. But we have an overcoming God who lives within us, who dwells within the praises of his people, who wants to carry us from glory to glory, from this season to the next. And we're going to have struggles, but we have life in you. God, I pray that we would understand the truth of your word. We would grab a hold of the truth of your word. Father, we repent that we live in a nation that thinks you have to change for us. You do not have to change for us. You are perfect. Every word you ever spoke was perfect, God. We are flawed, failed sinners. We have been since the day of our conception. You, God, are the perfect God, King of kings, Lord of lords. Your presence, according to your word, your very presence brings fullness and peace in our life. Just to be in your presence, all that struggle goes away. God, I ask that you'd bring that life and that fullness to your church today. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Have a great new year.